Hey guys, Johnny Summers here. I just kicked Max out of the Batmobile. He was complaining too much. But if you're tired from fighting crime across Gotham and you need to wet your bat whistle on some fantastic craft beer, you should check out The Handlebar right here in Chico at 2070 East 20th Street. Uh, they have an amazing happy hour, seven days a week from 2 to 6 p.m. You're going to get money off of draft beers, which they have 28 different options of. You're going to get some great food, some half-off bottles of wine. They also have a dog-friendly patio that was just recently remodeled. If you haven't been, check it out. It's fantastic. We love them. They love us. You should love them, too. The Handlebar, 2070 East 20th Street. Go check them out. Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hey, and welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema, a craft beer and movie show based in Chico, California. My name is Max Minardi. I'm Johnny Summers. Hello once again. This week on the show, our take on the latest iteration of The Caped Crusader with director Matt Reeves' The Batman. In it, Robert Pattinson plays a Batman only two years into fighting crime in the reliably corrupt Gotham City. It's business as usual until a mysterious killer begins picking off prominent figures of Gotham's political elite, leaving a series of clues for the Batman himself. Beers this week come from Track 7 Brewing out of Sacramento, California. The first beer is called Knights of the Dank Table, and the second beer is called Heavy Metal Weekend. Yeah, if you're listening on KZFR 90.1 FM, we hope you're having a fantastic Thursday evening. Unfortunately, you won't be hearing this episode in its entirety. You're only going to get the first beer review and the spoiler-free portion of our discussion of The Batman. But if you want to hear the full conversation, which includes spoilers for The Batman, a review of the second beer, and Hot and Bothered, where could they go? Well, they could go to Spotify or SoundCloud or Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or really any mom and pop podcast provider. If you can find podcasts there, you can probably find us. We drop new episodes every Friday morning at 7 a.m. If you like the show, feel free to leave us a five-star rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, It's a great way to let people know uh, what our show is if they've never heard of us. We love that sort of thing. For all of your social media needs... You can follow us on Instagram for photos, Letterboxd for film reviews, Untapped for beer reviews. We are at Fresh Hop Cinema on all those platforms, or just find it all in one place on our website, freshhopcinema.com. In the immortal words of one Mr. Nick Land, your money makes us smarter, and you can give us money with Patreon. Max, tell them more. Patreon is this great thing that we started basically when we started the show, and we were very lucky to have people join us sort of in those early days over five years ago where you can basically, if you're a fan of the show, you can decide to give us a dollar or two dollars or three dollars or however many dollars you want per episode. It helps us buy beers for the show, go see movies, give back to our patrons. Um, It's a great way to sign up. There's different tiers, and we have all these fun little benefits. We give back everything from bonus episodes. We just did a a beer review. We also are putting out this week our top five Batman actors that played Batman. So if you're into that sort of thing, you want a little bit more of the show and you also want to help us keep it going, go to patreon.com slash fresh hop cinema. You'll find way more details there. It's super easy to sign up and we appreciate you endlessly for doing so. But You'd be a lot cooler if you did. With all of that housekeeping and uh, pandering out of the way, so to speak, Johnny, let's get into beers. You've picked them out for this week. Tell me more. What is beer number one? That's right, I did. If you didn't guess from the top of the episode, I for sure picked beers this week. These are two beers that are the most up my alley, just on name and can design. We'll get into all that. The first beer is Knights of the Dank Table from Track 7 Brewing out of Sacramento, California. It is a double New England IPA that is 8.2%. 
Uh, Max, I want you to soak in that artwork because after I read what kind of hops and stuff are in this, I want you to give us the most vivid description you can. Uh, this beer features Strata Mosaic, Citra, and Idaho 7 hops, and they have all gathered round the dank table in this fragrant court of hoppiness. Knights of the Dank Table, Northeast-style double IPA. Uh, the hops give off overwhelming tropical aromas and flavors. On the palate, the tropical flavors of mango, papaya, skin, and orange are followed by a touch of dank pine. This New England Dippa, or double IPA, has a silky smooth mouthfeel and a clean finish with lightly residual bitterness. Before we get to the label, Max, how familiar are with uh, how familiar are you with the uh, tasting notes of papaya skin? You know, I, I I tend to eat the papaya, the I, shamelessly maybe. I just eat the fruit part. Um, skins, you know, it's not always what I go to. I can't think of a time where I've been like, I'm just going to eat the papaya skin today. So I'd say uh, very little, my friend. What about you? Are you familiar with papaya skin? No, same thing. I cut it up. I turn it inside out. Just I eat the fruit throw that of part it. away. Yeah, I'm imagining it's going to give something akin to kind of a grape skin or some some pithiness, maybe some bitterness. I don't know. So tell me, tell you got to tell me about this can. It's pretty great. So imagine a, a medieval tapestry wrapped around a 16 ounce can, and this isn't necessarily high art. It looks almost cartoony. There's a big, um, what would you get? There's almost like, well, it's a round table, isn't it? It's a big round table. It says Knights of the Dank Table. On either side of that are, are two knights. Uh, so two on each side holding flagons of beer. One is holding a barrel and they look just jolly as can be. There's not Anybody that stands out to me is King Arthur, which is a bit of a bummer, but they some of them have the Track 7 logo on their chest, and then there's all this um, stonework on the back and some geometric line work. It looks, it looks great. It looks fun. It looks very medieval, so I think par for the course of a beer called Knights of the Dank Table. Absolutely. This is a very eye-catching label. This and our second beer also are the labels are what first caught my eye. It's well documented that I'm a sucker. Wow. It's well documented that I am a sucker for a nice label. Uh, I, I drink with my eyes first more often than not, and I was pleasantly surprised to see that these labels were from track seven. I think these labels are kind of a departure from what they, they usually do. I'm, I was not familiar with this yeah. design. Uh, yeah, very surprised it was even track seven, but I'm super stoked that they're branching out. They're getting wild and releasing some new stuff. These Both the beers today were canned within the last month, so I'm, I'm very pleased as to the freshness and the new avenues in which they're traveling. So have you tried Knights of the Dank Table? I've poured mine into my hotel room glassware. I'm, I'm recording from, from my bunker in, in Reno this week. And I wanted to talk a little bit briefly about how it looks because with a name like Knights of the Dank Table, you almost might assume, at least I did, that it's going to be a West Coast IPA. And mm -hmm. I didn't have the can in front of me when I was making our notes. <clears throat> but the, uh, the descriptor on Untapped, which is usually where I pull descriptions from, had it listed as a double IPA, not Northeast, just a West Coast IPA, <clears throat> mm. which surprised me. And now pouring it into the glass, I'm a little bit more assured. Uh, of course, it says on the can that it's a Northeast style, but just looking at it and smelling it, I could still get on board with thinking this might be a West Coast IPA. Do you, you yeah. get that at all? Yeah. And on, on tasting it, I could definitely agree with that. It's not remarkably sweet in any capacity. And the hops are definitely the stars of this beer. It is very pungent and hop forward it's got a super dank aroma true true to the can which i'm really digging uh, and i personally like it because it is not too sweet it has a really punchy uh punchy hop presence with nice bitterness on the finish it's uh it's pretty clean drinking beer it's it's quite pleasant i would say have you sampled 
Yeah, I just had my first sip. And again, at 8.2%, it's something that is a very heavy beer. And it could, especially in the vein of a New England IPA, drink really heavy. This does not. I'm surprised no. that it's 8.2. I'll push back a little bit and say there's more sweetness than I think you're giving it credit for. But there's also a lot of bitterness, which I think means this is going to be a pretty good middle ground beer for the two of us. Because I tend to skew towards liking the sweeter New Englands and you tend to like the hoppier ones or the, the more mm -hmm. bitter hoppy ones. Um, but I really like this too, man. There's a ton of those tropical notes. I wouldn't have ever said papaya skin in my life, but I'm, I can get down with tropical flavors. There's a lot of hot bitterness up front. Then it kind of ascends a, a curved grassy meadow and, and mellows out into some sweetness before taking a steep dive off the, the cliff of bitterness at the end there. And it's, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty diverse drinking experience. Maybe, maybe diverse is the wrong word. Uh, I'll think of the right word in a minute, but, but overall pretty pleased on my first drink. Yeah, it's got quite the cornucopia of flavors going on. You were saying that, and I couldn't stop thinking about, what is it? There was a movie reference that I was going for, and I can't remember. Is Was it The the Pit of Despair? Oh. Um, oh, Princess Bride. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I was going to say. Don't even think about <laughs> Don't even think about escaping. <laughs> I forgot to uh, I forgot to mention, I was going to say the can art, the, the knights kind of remind me of some of the knights from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Totally. But I think, yeah, the, the, the campiness of both of those movies, I think uh princess bride is a fantastic movie probably better than the holy grail but both very iconic uh medieval type movies um i guess maybe monty python more more medieval princess bride more fantasy yeah they're both fantastic though i think either movie would appreciate this beer so i'm liking it i've still letting that first drink sit for a little bit and it's definitely evolved into more of a bitter aftertaste which mm -hmm. i think makes for longevity in a beer like this because a 16 ounce can of an overly sweet IPA, this is something we've dealt with before, does tend to get cloying and is way too much. And since you and I are not drinking these in the same room, we each have our own can of this. And I'm, I'm picturing drinking the whole thing here. And I'm like, yeah, I could probably do that if I want to do it and not get too fatigued in terms of palate or bitterness or anything like that. Yeah, it doesn't have the body of most double IPAs or New England or Northeast style. It doesn't say New England. This is Northeast. I'm going to say what they say on the can. Fair enough. Uh, most beers of that style, when you get into the double anything region, uh, it's you're going to be hard pressed to finish the 16 ounce can unless it's just super drinkable. And I mean, most people might disagree with that. Because, yes, most people do. I, I think. Know. Yeah, most people do. Uh, it's just if you have the choice to drink it or not. I mean, we. That's one way that we review beers that I think is super objective. Like all we need to do is taste it and review it. I think it's a testament to a, a truly fantastic beer when we're recording on our own when you're traveling and the entire beer gets consumed. That doesn't That's happen true. often. And I think when it does, it, it, it garners high praise. I mean, I take issue with your choice of the word objective because that's the most subjective way. To, it's like, if I like it, I'll drink it. But but in terms of our own personal taste, like that is an objective win for me if I drink an entire beer. But but maybe not for, for everybody, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's good to to convey that to the listener that, you know, we don't always drink the whole 16-ounce can True. even when it's the two of us in the same room. Listening to this yeah. show is an investment. Here's why. You get to know us, and then eventually – you, you figure out your palate compared to ours, and hopefully our little, you know, five to ten minute descriptors are a little shorthand for you to be like, oh, I definitely want to go get this beer, or dear God, get this beer away from me, um, <laughs> whatever the case might be. Did you did you get these in Chico? Yeah, I actually picked both of these up at Spike's Bottle Shop, and they were both very affordable cans this Sweet. week. So super approachable price tag for a 16-ounce can of something locally made, uh, super fresh, and in my opinion, pretty 
pretty dang tasty. Yeah, this is definitely something that's going to keep Track 7 more on my radar. I'm not sure if it's just the amount of breweries that are in Sacramento or the fact that most of my experience with Track 7 beers have been, you know, adequate. But it's um, been whelming. I never, yeah, I never really think of Track 7 all that much. And it, I mean, you know, for those reasons it could be. But this one has reignited my interest in in their beers for sure. Yeah, and I think that's the point of this new marketing scheme and kind of a, a, a branching out into beer styles other than their core beers. I know they came out with the with the Kool-Aid guy on it. There was a series mm. they did. I think it was just called Oh Yeah, and sure. it was all like Kool-Aid-inspired kettle sours that were really fun. That's the last thing I remembered being super notable from Track 7. Yeah. I mean, other than that, I drank so much of the Blood Transfusion, Blood Orange IPA when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they've been like medium on my radar, but not something I seek out. I agree. I think if they continue putting out things with this kind of marketing and this caliber of liquid, or dare I say this X caliber of liquid. Oh, wow. That's got to be the joke of the show for sure. Nicely done. They're definitely going to be more on my radar than they have been in the past. All right. Well, let's give Knights of the Dang Table an out of 10 if you feel comfortable. I really like this beer. Out of 10, it's like a 8-2. Okay, you want to tell me? I didn't even give you the opportunity. Is there anything you don't like about it? Um, it's real heavy. I mean, given that oh. it doesn't have the the overwhelming body, but it does drink like an eight percent beer. Uh, so this is definitely not something I would probably drink more than one of. But like one can of this, then maybe switch into something lighter, or two cans of this if that's what your palate and your desires dictate. Uh, but for me, that would be the drawback of maybe having more than one. It's just it does drink like. It, it drinks like it is with the ABV, and that's sometimes good in a beer. You know, you, you're getting exactly what is advertised, and it it tastes like it. Whereas, you know, some of these beers we do, and they're you know eight, nine, twelve, fourteen percent. I don't necessarily want those to drink like a five percent beer. Mm-hmm. I want to know what I'm getting into. I don't like you know sneaky beers. Sometimes they're cool, but in big hoppy double IPAs. No, I want I want to know what I'm getting into. Well, it so sounds like you're describing a good thing about this beer. It sounds like you're saying this is exactly what it's trying to be. Therefore, I give it less points. I wouldn't. Yeah, maybe. I when you asked, I guess I did say that right after you asked. If there's anything I don't like about yeah, it? Yeah, right. I was um, like, you're describing a great quality in a beer, and you're like, yeah, this is what I, I, I dislike. No, I guess you turned you turned my frown upside down, Max, as you're known to do. Uh, you turned a <laughs> negative into a positive. So am maybe I going to turn? Am I going to turn an eight point two into something else though? No. Okay, so just just random subjective Johnny reasons. We're sticking with an eight point two. Yep, I said right. it. I stand by it. I think this because that's still a killer rating. It's yeah, it's a, that's a great rating. We shouldn't understate that. Eight point two is fantastic. I think that's higher than I'm going to go. I'm going to land on a pretty firm seven. For me, the 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 roller coaster of an effect between the bitterness and the sweetness is something I really enjoy. I think we talked last week or or possibly on the episode before about the the beauty of a beer that is just one dimensional. And it's like, here's what I'm trying to be. I'm not trying to be complex. It's just this one particular flavor. You'll see this a lot in single hop IPAs that do it well. And there's a time and a place for that. But as a person and kind of as a blanket statement, I really appreciate some layers and some nuance and, and, and more of a, more of an ex, a flavor experience. So I think all of that's really good here. The problems for me is that those peaks and valleys of, of sweetness and bitterness are a little bit too uh, high and low relatively speaking, that the sweetness gets to be a bit much and the bitterness that comes back and and that, that sort of bookends the sweetness is pretty intense. And I just wish it was a little bit more mellow in, in, in every aspect. That's fair. It's a very robust and kind of in-your-face beer. 
Yeah. All right. Well, Knights of the Dang Table, 8.2 for you, Johnny Summers, 7 for me. Once again, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, possibly on a Thursday evening on KZFR 90.1 FM. If you get a chance to try Knights of the Dang Table from Track 7 or or any beers from Track 7, really, maybe your go-to is their Panic IPA. We want to know what you think, so please don't hesitate to reach out. If you happen to dress up in full chain mail and sit around a big round table while drinking this beer, do yourself a favor. Snap a quick selfie and tag us on your social medias at Fresh Hop Cinema. You can also email us at fhccast at gmail.com, or if you're enjoying the show, leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcast. Next, you're going to hear a trailer for this week's featured movie, The Batman, but fear not, there are no spoilers in the upcoming segment. Fear is a tool. When that light hits the sky, it's not just a call. It's a warning. I've been trying to reach you. Fire the gun! This is about a king. Brothers to match. I can take care of myself. If this continues, it won't be long before you've nothing left. I don't care what happens to me. It's only gonna get worse for you. Go, take it easy, sweetheart. Hear everything they say, ain't you? Maybe we're not so different. Who are you under there? I'm Vengeance. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, a show about the worlds of craft beer and film, maybe on KZFR 90.1 FM on a Thursday evening. You can subscribe to Fresh Hop Cinema on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts to hear today's discussion in its entirety. It'll be available tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. So at the end of this, if you just can't get enough, there's plenty more to digest. We have lots of episodes going back all the way to 2016. But in the meantime, what you just heard was a trailer for The Batman. Batman ventures into Gotham City's underworld when a sadistic killer leaves behind a trail of cryptic clues. As the evidence begins to lead closer to home and the scale of the perpetrator's plans become clear, he must forge new relationships, unmask the culprit, and bring justice to the abuse of power and corruption that has long plagued the metropolis. Right. This was directed by Matt Reeves. He did Cloverfield back in 2008. He did a couple of the of the apes movies he did uh, i think dawn of the planet of the apes and war of the planet of the apes he shares a screenwriting credit here with uh, with peter craig we got a cinematographer greg frazier editing by william hoy tyler nelson a great original soundtrack by michael giacchino this movie runs two hours and 56 minutes long and it was released to theaters on march 4th of 2022 johnny summers tell me who is in this and who they portray yeah, we have Robert Pattinson assuming the titular role as Batman slash Bruce Wayne. We have Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, also known as her regular name, Selina Kyle. And we have Andy Serkis playing Alfred Pennyworth. We have Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner, not Commissioner, not in this, yet, yeah. uh, Jim Gordon, Paul Dano. 
plays spoiler alert somewhat no. not really kind it's of an, the riddler no, i don't think so no uh he, paul dano plays the riddler slash edward nashton we have john turturro as mob boss carmine falcone and we have colin farrell mm-hmm. mostly unrecognizable playing yeah. the penguin also known as oswald cobblepot Dude, I love Batman because so many of these characters, like I forget that the penguin has a real name. And then right? you get this 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 persona of intensity. Like if you ever watched the cartoons, that's kind of my thing with or or like Danny DeVito, but he wasn't as scary. But like the cartoons, like the penguins, this big menacing guy. And then you're like, Yeah, his name's Oswald Cobblepot. She's <laughs> just I think delicious and not at all scary. And what a weird I would change my name to the penguin also. Yeah. Uh, first name the last name penguin right so so the batman dude we we've got some unpacking to do i'll probably we'll get into our histories of how we feel about the character and the films and all that but i know you were really excited to see this and we we sort of built our finishing touches on our oscars our best picture things we pushed back a week so that we could squeeze this in so i'm going to throw it to you first what did you think of the batman yes we did and oh boy how disappointed am i oh no uh, Yeah. So I found myself wanting to really invest in this movie. I was pumped for it. I was a a big advocate of doing this movie. I pushed to, to, to push the Oscar stuff because this Mm -hmm. was a a big deal. Mm -hmm. And what I found was a movie that was while being gorgeous to look at, very predictable, drawn out at times and rushed at others and really just lacking a lot of substance for me. Uh, I felt like the cinematography, like I said, was amazing. The universe that they've built here, like the sandbox that they've built for this Batman, this incarnation to play in, is gorgeous to look at. I mean, the cinematographer is, you know, most recently worked on Dune. He's got a great pedigree. Yeah. Dug that. But my main problems here were with, the like, the plot, the pacing, uh, the overall length, the general moodiness, I didn't necessarily need a more emo Batman. Uh, there were a lot of things uh, that I was not a big fan of. Uh, I like, here's the dichotomy of my review. I love Robert Pattinson as Batman. I wish they sure. would have given him more. Uh, I feel like there's been such a groundwork laid for our expectations of what Batman is and you really have to suspend those expectations while you're going into this movie because because it is unlike any Batman movie that has ever been made. It takes the drama that Nolan set up in the, you know, the the Bale era of Batman and just pushes that to the the nth degree. So what you're ending up with here is more of a slow-burning crime drama that happens to have Batman and Catwoman in it versus a comic booky superhero type film. So if you can temper those expectations, you might really enjoy this film. But for me, going in, knowing what I know about Batman and 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 that groundwork that I spoke about that's been laid, this character and what they gave him to work with and just the overall idea of this movie really left me wanting so much more. So it was, to me, a bit inflated and just not not what I was looking for. And overall, I was pretty disappointed in it. People say that superhero films, maybe people don't say this, I say this, that superheroes and superhero movies are are basically only as good as their best villain. Like, 
like that's why the Joker is such a perfect antithesis to Batman. He's the villain elevates the hero, and then vice versa. I think I think Robert Pattinson. I agree with you. Plays a great Batman. There, most of this movie, he is Batman. We get very little yeah. Bruce Wayne. We get a lot of Batman. Um, I, I think I'm gonna say it now. I've I've seen this. It was a couple days ago, but I think he is my favorite Batman in film. And I'm a okay. big fan of of the Bale Batman also. Um, but I think Pattinson takes it for me. But because of this buildup with the villain balance, the problem I had with this movie is that I didn't necessarily love the Riddler. And mm-hmm. the way that all unfolds, which we probably won't get into too much now, I just found to be pretty underwhelming. Um, the, the, the main motivations we start learning as we get to know some of these characters felt like a bit of a letdown to me. I really liked everything else, though. I think that I agree with you. Cinematography was on point. I loved the soundtrack. I am all on board for a more emo Batman. This whole movie is a very neo-noir kind of vibe. It's, it's, a, it's right along the lines of something like, like a David Fincher movie, like Zodiac or, or Seven or something like that down to the, you know, hidden clues and, and mangled bodies that are just leading away to a serial killer trying to not be discovered and challenge the greatest minds in the police and all that stuff. I think that stuff's great. I'm in for a slow burn. I will watch Robert Pattinson stare through his cowl forever. I think it's awesome. I think the reinvention of Batman as more of an insecure character and less, because he's only been fighting crime for two years when we pick up this story. He's not at all the the... Yeah, he's rich, obviously, but he doesn't go swinging around and buying restaurants and, you know, fancy cars and pulling up the right. He's very reclusive. I love it. I think, and this is like just a practical thing, like Batman up there with the most recognizable superheroes in terms of secret identity. You got like Superman, who is like, who's un, who's unsure that that's Clark Kent. And then you have Batman. Mm-hmm. All these, you got, you, it's Robert Pattinson's jawline or it's Christian Bale's mouth. Every They all have this really recognizable thing. So the only way that might work if I'm picking it apart a little bit is if you're kind of reclusive, I don't see how Christian Bale's Bruce Wayne is out there every day. Like look at me. And then he's like, I'm Batman crazy to me. This is the, the one version of, of Bruce Wayne slash Batman that is kind of plausible. I also think some stuff that happens in the plot hits a little bit home for real world stuff that's happening today. Um, which I'm, you know, appreciate, but didn't necessarily enjoy. Um, I love it, dude. I think some of the stuff you're touching on is, a conversation we've had in the past, which is expectation and going in expecting certain things. And generally I think we're both pretty good at not having expectations in a film. And I try to do that in, in every movie, but there is some baggage for something like Batman, a a superhero who's been on screen in so many different versions. And you do have certain expectations, but in this case, for me, the subversion of those expectations was a pretty huge positive. And for me or for you, it sounds like maybe, maybe not so much. Well, I mean, I I enjoy having my expectations toyed with as much as the next guy, but there is the baggage that you spoke about, and I do really appreciate your point about subverting those and about, um, you know, everything you just said. Uh, but yeah, there there are problems for me. It's just so tough to wrap my head around. Um, I think my biggest thing with this movie is that it was trying to go for that dark gritty feel and it is virtually impossible when you're dealing with the level of nefarious activity that he's combating in this with the with the villain and the overall setup to execute effectively and get me engaged in a PG-13 movie. I personally feel like this could have been the most successful like this could have been as successful as like a Deadpool 
uh, if you gave this an R rating and really just leaned into the grittiness because it had the kind of mystique and mystery and suspense of Seven, like you mentioned, and I've also heard that movie, this movie compared to that for multiple times. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't follow through on the things that gave me a visceral visceral reaction like Seven did. Uh, it fell short of that, and I feel like it was handicapped in a lot of ways by its PG-13 limitations. I think, yeah, that could be a case that people make. For me, they don't really pull back on grittiness. They pull back on visual shock factor. And I, I agree that's a way to elicit a certain response from an audience. And when you're dealing with very grotesque serial killer type murders, I do think there's merit in showing some of that. But I will say, compared to other Batman over the years, this is far more violent, far more brutal. And, and yeah, I'm not just, I don't mean the, the murders themselves, but even Batman's interactions with criminals Batman's very in in the past is sort of an incapacitator. He'll he'll knock somebody down, they're knocked out, done. Next bad guy. It's all pretty okay. Like in the past, I'd be like, yeah, okay. Like if I were a criminal and I saw Batman, I'd be like, I'm gonna be in, I'm gonna lose this fight, but I'll be okay. This Batman, I'm like, no, I'm I don't want to. He could kill me. He might he might kill me. Bat, this yeah. Robert Pattinson's Batman might kill me, which I think is an amazing way they start the film talking about how his entire approach to this has been fear. And, and mm-hmm. that's just, and I'm scared. I would not go up against this Batman. So I, I don't know. I think the greediness and the visceral violence really worked for me. And I didn't need to see, like, you know, if there's a scene where he's punching a guy's face over and over, I'm okay seeing like, you know, his, his torso up. And I, I can imagine what's happening to that guy's face. I, I didn't need that personally. I think it would have added some some heft to the stakes, and I'm a big fan of of stakes in a movie. And uh, you know, high physical consequences are uh, important in setting a tone in a movie. And if there's going to be a movie centered around violent action, I feel like more consequence to that violence needs to be portrayed to effectively get the the full message across. But that's just me. I, I yeah, I'm a strong advocate for an R rating. Uh, I think it it opens way more avenues of expression and and that's my take i think quite frankly this would have been better if it was r-rated i get it if you disagree uh i agree that they did a lot with that pg-13 rating and they implied a lot um and you know my problems go a lot deeper than that but i think that's one of the things where i would have that's one of the first boxes i check i mean the second box that i check and i completely agree with you is the overall underwhelmingness of the villain. Yeah, it's worth pointing out there's a couple villains here. And and but yes, you're right. We haven't really talked much. And, and this is one of the times where our time limit for our radio listeners is really kind of shooting us in the foot because I think we have a lot to talk about here. But yeah, for me, it was, yeah, the, the, the Riddler specifically, the more you, I won't, I won't say more, but yeah, I appreciate you agreeing with me on that. Yeah, uh, I think this is one uh, to our KZFR listeners. The Danger Zone is going to be well worth listening Very to because I feel like. Uh, the bulk of the rest of this episode is going to be spent discussing the pros and cons of the Batman. Yeah, maybe. In the meantime, you want to give me an out of 10? It's a 6.5. Okay, that's that's low-ish. I mean, that's not low given everything you've said, but that's considerably lower than mine. I think for me, this is going to be closer to like, no, it's going to be an 8. It's a really, really good take on Batman. And I, I think one of my favorites that I've seen right up there with... Um, maybe The Dark Knight. But we can talk more about this in a little bit. But in the meantime, once again, you've been listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, maybe on KZFR 90.1 FM. Like we said, The Batman is available in theaters now. If you've seen it, you got thoughts of your own, you can reach out to us on social media at Fresh Hop Cinema or just send an email to fhccast to gmail.com. 
To our radio listeners, thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate you. We'll catch you next week and every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. on KZFR 90.1 FM. As a reminder, if you want to hear the rest of today's conversation, which includes spoilers for the Batman, a second beer review from Track 7 Brewing, and Hot and Bothered, head over to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Fresh Hop Cinema. The rest of this episode will be available tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. And to those already listening on your preferred podcast app, we'll be right back. Danger Welcome to the Danger Zone, part of the show where if you're just joining us, you've never heard it before. We talk spoilers. This week we're talking the Batman, and that was your final warning. If you haven't seen it yet and you'd like to, pause the show, go see it, come back, then we've all seen it and we're all moving forward together. Johnny, where we left off before we got into the Danger Zone was talking about our, our dislike of, to some extent, the character of the Riddler. Can you expound mm-hmm. on that? Yeah. So he is kind of, you know, I, I liked what they were going for. Zodiac was a word you used earlier and it made perfect sense. I had actually compared that this movie to that mentally already, even like mm-hmm. while I'm watching it, just because of his garb. I mean, it's pretty obvious that they're going for yeah. kind of a Zodiac conspiracy theory kind of character in this, this guy. Uh, you know, I questioned a lot his motivations and also um, his riddles weren't that hard to figure out. Well, that's uh, true. <laughs> a, a big part of my problem with this movie is how predictable it was. And for I don't want to be able to predict a three hour movie because that's just like a waste of time at that point. Uh, so, the yeah, the predictability of the villain and the kind of just formulaic plot really are what bogged this down for me. And also, he if they just cut out all the scenes of him just staring forlornly, uh, this is a two-hour movie. Okay, that's obviously an exaggeration. That's how 56 minutes you're cutting out. <laughs> but I Also, how, how much did he look like he just got done playing guitar for Avenged Sevenfold anytime he took the mask off with yeah. the eyeliner still on? I Oh, oh, sure. I can't picture the people in that band, but I've heard their songs, so yeah, sure. Yeah. It's a reference that's oddly specific, but it makes sense if you get it. Yes. The the Riddler, man, is... Yeah, like, I didn't care about the Riddler. Like, if you're going to call yourself the Riddler, like, and you're you're going up against the world's greatest detective who is presumably pretty smart, you'll probably want to do better than, like... What's the riddle that is... The answer is vent or justice? It's like, whatever. It's very predictable. Like, everybody's like, justice, justice. Or, yeah. Or vengeance like, or whatever the hell it is. Like, All of his riddles come on like Hallmark cards from the fifties, and they're about as complex as a Hallmark card from the fifties. So let's let's just jump to the ending here because I think I'd like to close the Riddler loop. But basically, Riddler is just like a loner incel that just lives mm-hmm. on the internet, never had a community, and like started a community where he's just like, "We're gonna expose corruption in this city." Am I right, boys? And then. At one point, all of his followers, which, by the way, is like 500, like they discover his computer and they're like, he has an online following. And I'm like, how many thousands? And he's like, he has has over 500. We have over 500 followers. Like everybody has over 500. Um, I guess that the danger is when you get those 500 people to, um, you know, mobilize and kill people, which is part of the thing that touches on real world stuff. Like you could see that happening in, in the modern age. I just really didn't like how it turned into that. It just felt lame and it added on to how not that smart he was. Um, speaking of this, is my other thing about not smart people, Batman, again, I love that the movie leaned into the detective side, great stuff, solving mysteries, whatever, getting down in the nitty gritty with, with politics and crime and the police, all great stuff. 
Then we find out, because the Riddler gets thrown in prison, asks for Batman. Batman comes to meet him. Riddler's like, look at the look at the things we've created, Batman. We've done it. And Batman's like, I didn't do anything. And he's like, no, you're on my team. And then he starts spiraling. And we know he's a loner. We know he's got all these like abandonment things. And he's clearly just like reaching out. And he thinks like Batman's his partner. If you're the world's greatest detective and you've read any book ever about sort of people's brains that are sociopaths and I am not clinically diagnosing this guy. That's not the right term. Why would you not be like, yes, we've done it. Mr. Riddler. What's this other plan you're talking about? Tell me all the details. We'll sit here together and we'll watch and we'll watch as the city burns. If I was Batman, that's what I would do. I get all the details yeah. from him. And then, and, but instead Batman starts freaking out and, and then, you know, everything that happens in the end happens. It's like, you could have probably avoided that, you know, oh, you called a little me bit a bad guy. Yeah, I you called so, me a bad guy. I'm not a bad guy. I'm a <laughs> I'm good not, guy. I'm, I'm I'm justice. I don't know. Uh, that yeah. I, that was like, okay, I don't know, man. I can get on board with almost everything else here, but y- you'd be a little smart, dude. Exactly. I had a few gripes and I want to get them out while they're fresh in my brain. Sure. One, Batman's supposed to be the best detective in the world. I know. And it was very his detecting performance was very lackluster. I hope they build upon that in future films because uh, he was kind of a pushover on a few things. He was very observant in some yeah. ways, like, like, uh, cool. But for the most part, not impressed with his detectiveness at all. Uh, the other thing was Batman uh, is not blessed with superhero type abilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ha- relies on gadgets and technology money. Yeah. and money. Uh, exactly. Uh, he's known for his utility belt and the, the vehicles oh. he drives. And there wasn't there was enough, a, was it? There was not nearly enough. We had a contact lens and a grappling hook and, and a, a Batmobile. And those, I was getting there. The Batmobile, maybe the best Batmobile in history. Great. I will Batmobile. give this movie that. It's yeah. got the most badass Batmobile ever. It's like based on, like, I think the body is like a 440 Roadrunner from like the early 70s. Mm-hmm. Don't quote me on that, but that was my best guess with like a rocket engine attached. It was dope. But. The groundwork that was laid with Bale's Batman, just so immersed in technology. I feel like since this was set roughly modern day, I'm I yeah. gathered yeah. it seemed pretty modern day that he would have had more gadgets and more tech because again, not having those abilities, no superpowers, he has to rely on that. So I was bummed out that there wasn't more of that. I didn't think he was a very good detective, and. Uh, I think those were a couple of my main gripes. And also, yeah, the the villain, just a bummer. And uh, I do not like where they're going with the Joker that they teased at the end. Yeah, I could, we'll get there in a minute. Um, so I think you could probably make the case, yeah, not great detective work, but I like that they focused on it. And he did figure out some stuff that the police weren't figuring out. Maybe everybody's dumb and he's just the smartest of the idiots. That's possible. Um, yeah. But if and that if, might come back to his his level of experience in this. Yeah, I think that's something to fall back on. He's he's new at being Batman. I also think it's okay that the gadgets aren't a part of this. He's not really that Batman. You know, it's the whole he doesn't do anything like the other Batmans. He beats the shit out of people. He's very unsure of himself. It's not that movie. It's not the Batman gadget playboy Batman Bruce Wayne movie. It's a different movie entirely. And I think the fact that he's very limited with his gadgets, though he clearly has a a den and it can make stuff. He just relies on his brain, and granted, he's not great at it yet, but I'm excited to watch that character grow, which is not something I've said for a lot of Batman. It's like, they're fully developed. I get it. There's not a whole lot of room for character development. Here, there actually is, which excites me. 
That's that's a very good point. Every other one we've had so far was an established Playboy billionaire. Yeah, with and like, like a very public persona. Yes, and I still think this movie would have gotten some credit if they did that. Credit for being new and original because they did avoid the parents dying backstory thing. I didn't have to see the pearls, which is cool. But then I, I think the fact that they took it even further and gave us a whole new Batman pretty much was awesome. I think that's great. Yeah, and if you're going to start a new franchise with a new Batman, at least they're laying a fresh foundation, as underwhelming as it may be. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, okay. Thoughts on Zoe Kravitz? Uh, I love her as Catwoman. Mm-hmm. Um, in your same train of thought, I'm really looking forward to see where they let that character grow. Hopefully she's in the next movie. Uh, the way that she left the movie, it seemed like a somewhat final, but we know superhero movies, everyone comes back all the time, mm-hmm. no matter if they're dead or not. So uh, I dug her as, I mean, Selena Kyle's a cat burglar. That's the whole point. And I really yeah. like that they emphasize her stealth and her physical, you know, martial arts prowess. Yeah. Uh, I was bummed that she only used a whip for like 15 seconds in this movie. Yeah. Um, I, got, I forgot she had a whip as a character. That's true. Yeah. So, I mean, but you get the nails. Again, she scratched somebody's face. That's cat. I love that. Like I said, I love that. And um, I loved her in this movie as Catwoman. I think she embodies the character fantastically. I would love to see more of her as a more evolved. Like, I want to see this. These were all like starter Pokemons. Like, So the next movie, they should be like the level two. And then like the third movie in this trilogy, I'm expecting Robert Pattinson to be full on Charizard. Yeah. You know, thinking back now on, on the idea of develop fully developed Batman, that's not even true with Christian Bale. I think one of the reasons that was so successful, those, those movies were so successful is that we do kind of start with, well, you know, we start with Christian Bale as the fully developed playboy thing, but then he gets broken down. And has to build back up. And I think that's very effective. Yeah, but the other ones, you're totally right. So I hope so too. I hope we get some character evolution. That's something that actually creates investment in viewers. I guess in in myself, I won't speak for everybody, but it's better than just the next villain, which is like the Spider-Man thing that's been happening, which is crazy because Tom Holland is such a young Spider-Man. You think that they would give that character more room to develop, but it's really been him and his friends and pretty insulated in terms of character growth. And then you just have a new villain for him to fight each one, which I Mm -hmm. much prefer what they're going for here. It makes sense. I mean, there has been a bit of an emotional maturation with Spider-Man in his movies because Tom Holland's Spider-Man has dealt with like high school level things going into college level things. So I get that they're kind of throwing stones at that wall of trying to give him some room to grow as a character, but comparing this movie to those movies it's a night and day level of, you know, it's a completely different starting point. Totally. Dude, um, I'd, ma- I'd make the case that in, in we'll stick with Spider-Man for now, but the, the stakes are growing. They're raising the stakes, but the characters aren't growing. And here it's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're describing the stakes not being very high. The stakes not really raising, but, but the characters growing. And I think that yeah. is a trajectory they're going to be on that's going to reward us way more than the the minuscule character development we've seen from something like a Tom Holland Spider-Man. Well, I mean, Tom Holland did not approach Zendaya after her memory was wiped, and that took some emotional growth, man. It, <laughs> it was hard yeah, for okay. him. <laughs> but no, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I just was thinking about that yeah. scene. Um, and I think what you're saying about focusing more on character development and like character growth on a personal level in this particular movie and potentially this franchise... 
uh, it kind of differentiates it from a lot of the other superhero movies that we've seen mm-hmm. in that the Batman was way more just a movie than a, than superhero, a superhero movie. movie. For sure. it's not a, I'd say it's not a superhero movie. It doesn't yeah, meet any I of would the criteria fully agree. except for having Batman, I guess. Not even like Batman, Batman. It's a dude called Batman that we bring our baggage to, but he's not Batman, and this is not a superhero movie. It's a crime neo-noir with a dude who is rich in a cape and also very moody and not particularly good yet at what he does. Yeah, I think that's completely accurate, and uh, I think yeah. you have to really just shrug that dead skin of expecting another superhero movie and... Once you do that, this movie might do more for you because it was 100% more what you just described than I, I agree completely. This wasn't a superhero movie. That said, you're not fitting everything I just said on a promo poster. You're putting Batman, the next superhero movie, and that's why this movie's going to make a ton of money. And I predict be one of the more divisive Batman movies that we've seen or, or that anybody's seen. Um, yeah, Andy, Andy exactly. Serkis, I liked. I like having him get a chance to do something a little bit more serious. I think him as yeah. Alfred is pretty great. He, and there's a particularly touching scene in the hospital where Robert Pattinson's Bruce deals with his daddy issues a little bit and they get a nice little handhold moment, which had one of my favorite shots in the movie, by the way, having this very intimate close up. There's this, it's like a mid, mid shot of him, Alfred laying on the bed, having just been blown up and Bruce sitting next to him. And after a lot of talking, Alfred sticks his hand out for Bruce to hold. And then the camera cuts outside the room looking in through the glass, which is totally where Robert Pattinson has been with this Alfred character. He points it out a couple of times. Like, you're not my dad. It's like, shut up, dude. But it's true. He's very alienated. And Alfred's just like, let me take care of you. So we get this from outside the glass. And then the moment Robert Pattinson decides to hold his hand, we get back inside to a close up on the hands. And it's like the moment his icy wall shatters. It was great. It was a nice little on the nose, but, but sweet moment. Yeah, I, I agree. I really like, and I love that they didn't kill him off because I think Andy Serkis has yeah. great acting chops and I'd love to see what he does with the character of Alfred in this series going forward. Yes. Um, for a movie that I didn't like, I am pretty hopeful about the future of totally. this franchise. Uh, I do want to know what you thought of the kind of like the family drama side of this movie because there were definitely two divergent yet symbiotic storylines in him dealing with uh, his family history, with his father and the political blah, 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 and also the Riddler. Like, event, they start as separate, and then they intertwine. Did that work for you? Yeah, it was fine. I, I think an orphan with an axe to grind, with that, with that I don't know how this axe metaphor is going to work. The axe aimed at the, the person who caused him all that strife, and who is a person that looks like this big, glorified, wonderful person in the media, that's a very legitimate axe to grind that I can get behind. The problem for me is, is when it does spiral out from there into the stuff that it, it does with the Riddler. But I think at its core, yeah, nobody's perfect. And we've gotten this narrative that Wayne, the Wayne enterprise and, and the Waynes that are murdered are these angelic saints. So the fact that they humanize them a little bit, I was like, perfect, great. Nobody's perfect. And the fact that Bruce has to come to, come to terms with that made him all the more human, more of an interesting character, more layered. I think that worked for me hundred percent until, until it didn't. What about you? Fair enough. Uh, I thought it was a little bit distracting and it kind of convoluted the plot a bit. Yeah. But then you kind of realized that it was all intertwined, but it did take away from the entire plot of the Riddler. It did or did not? I think it did. Mm. Until it, it became intertwined, it felt like it was just a road to some sort of 
retribution or yeah. you know you know something that he was trying to find and I, I agree with like the the humanizing of them because in every other movie we look at the parents Wayne through rose-colored glasses yes and I think humanizing them and the fact that he was uh, a politician and maybe did some slimy unsavory things uh, I think it's a good thing that piles on to the character building that is uh, Robert Pattinson's Batman. Yeah, only because you brought up the Riddler again, my brain started thinking about it. Can we just briefly, Batman shows up to the jail. We are led by, this is, we had this problem with another movie recently. Oh, you know what it was? This wasn't recent at all. It was The Harder They Fall, which was um, a revisionist Western we covered, I think over the summer, it's on Netflix. Pretty good movie. But mm-hmm. there was there's a plot twist at the end of that involving the Idris Elba character that we learn about. That yep. in no way was set up by evidence or anything the viewer could have pieced together. It was just like, oh, all right. And that's kind of what happened here. Because up until the moment we find out the Riddler thinks that Batman's on his team, we are like, he's uncovering Wayne's identity. Bruce's identity is what, like, that's what everybody's thinking. To the point where in the jail, he keeps going, Bruce, Bruce. Wayne. And it's like, <laughs> of course, like, why would you not? That's, you're saying it to him because you think that's who it is under the mask. And then- very last second, he pivots and goes, Bruce Wayne is the only one we didn't get, but we got everybody else. Am I right, Batman? And then you see Robert Pattinson under the mask be like, dodge the bullet there. And it's like, come on, no, no. Is nobody smart? Is nobody smart in this? At one point, the Riddler's like, you're really not as smart as I thought you were. And it's like, maybe you're not as smart as you thought you were. Maybe everybody's yeah. dumb in this universe. Maybe everybody's not as smart as they <laughs> think they are. And that maybe we're, maybe we're not as smart as we think we are. Maybe we are overanalyzing the intelligence of every character in this movie. And that makes us either idiots or geniuses. I can sleep well at night with either one. I don't care. I sleep well at night with both. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. yeah. No, but it, it makes you question the decisions that they made with the character of the Riddler because they're trying to make him out to be this complete mastermind of criminal chaos and finding out that his plans were so simplistic was a real letdown. He did craft my favorite joke in a pretty jokeless movie though, with the thumb drive joke. I, that had me internally laughing pretty hard. That got me. It like, did. Funny. Yeah. And there's yeah. another funny moment with Colin Farrell who we haven't talked about, probably don't need to, but with the penguin who gets tied up and left because missed again, Jeffrey Wright's character, I love Jeffrey Wright, by the way. One quick shout out to him. I think he's fantastic in almost everything. But Jim Gordon, Batman, are pinning the Penguin down because they finally figured out what the El Rata Alada was. And mm-hmm. then Penguin is like, y'all don't speak Spanish. It's not La Rata, it's El Rata. It's like, and there's this moment where they're just like, fuck, we should have thought of this. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you should have thought of this. The world's greatest detective and future Commissioner Gordon probably should have seen that coming. Do, do Google yep. it. Just Google Translate, just Google Translate. At no point is anyone like, let me pull out my phone and Google what that means. They're just like, just Google it, dudes. Whatever. Seriously. I don't know. Little Um, stuff like that drives me crazy. Yeah. No, I agree. Did you notice that the penguin kind of waddled out after that like a penguin? Oh, that's funny. I I didn't key into that, but yeah, that's totally what happened. Yeah. I think the comparisons to this movie in certain scenes and Paul Dano's character specifically really harkened back to the Dark Knight for me. Mm. Um, like, you know, when Heath Ledger intentionally got himself arrested yes. and was in jail, it yeah. definitely, there was a direct, I don't know if it's an homage or a callback or what, but there were plot points and even scenes in this movie that felt like direct homages to the dark Knight. Like there was one scene and it was almost like they were driving down the exact same road yeah, yeah. as when Heath Ledger was hanging out of the taxi and it was like sunrise. Like 
Yeah. The cinematography was almost spot on. It was almost a dead ringer of that scene, which I mean, I appreciated, but also you're going to call back and give homage to a villain that was so much more complex. And in my opinion, Heath Ledger was the best Batman villain I agree. in history on film. And it's going to take a monumental performance to surpass that with excellent writing. And I don't see it happening, uh, but I did appreciate the callbacks. Yeah. Well, the other one, and there's probably multiple comparisons could be made here, but, but one of the strongest comparisons beside the visual aesthetic to seven is that's what Kevin Spacey does in seven. He gets himself arrested because yep. that's the final step to his plan. He needs to be in custody to do it. So th there's probably lots of these, but yeah, I, I agree that there was a shot. I think it was early in the movie that felt a lot like that, that driving scene in, in the dark Knight. Yep, I think we're thinking of the same scene. It was very early in the movie. Yeah. Um, okay, you got anything else on the Batman? Uh, no. Then you want to drink another beer? Yes. All right, let's go grab it. Johnny Summers, pop quiz. We are back with beer number two. I've got two rapid-fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yeah, boy. Name a death metal band. Go. Uh, Cannibal Corpse. Name them both day of the weekends. Messed that up somehow. <sighs> Forget it. <laughs> What? I was going to say name both days in a weekend. Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, I thought I might trip you up. And you'd like overcomplicated and then mess it up. But I messed it up. So riddle me this. Who's dumb? Me. Us. Everyone. It's fine. We're keeping it. You ready to go? <laughs> yeah, man. Let's do this. Are uh, you ready to take a deep dive into a blood-filled pool? Well, then let's get down with a death metal weekend. Didn't anyone write that? No, it was me. I should be marketing, but I'm not. Second beer of the week, death metal weekend from Track 7 Brewing out of Sacramento, California. We are digging into a double IPA. Gear up for death metal weekend, double India pale ale with Citra, Citra Cryo, Citra Incognito, Strata, and Nelson Sauvin. This dip as fragrant aroma is as intense as your favorite death metal riff giving off bold notes of citrus rind, freshly cut pine, and tropical apricot. On the palate, you'll get resinous floral notes and a ripe pineapple supported by a touch of citrus. This dipper provides pleasant upfront bitterness with a nice clean finish. Are you ready to rock out with Death Metal Weekend? Question mark, exclamation point, question mark. You added an extra question mark. Please stay true to the source material. You can't, you can't add stuff like that. It's my brain, man. Like Knights of the Dank Table, this beer clock's in at 8.2%. Unlike Knights of the Dank Table, it is not a, they said Northeast, right? A Northeast style IPA. This is a West Coast style, hop forward, in your face, punchy in the tonsils. I think those are accessible by, can your tonsils get hit by beer? Or are they yeah, like, maybe, or they're right uvula there. for sure can. Uvula, tongue, gums, teeth, we're about to get socked in them by Death Metal Weekend, a beer that I would never gravitate towards given the the can and the the name probably. So yeah. I, I suppose in a, in a reversal of our first beer, Johnny, describe the can and what drew your demented mind to it. Well, it says Death Metal Weekend, so that's a start. It's also got a, a visage of the Grim Reaper mm. with the Track 7 logo emblazoned upon its forehead, and it is holding longingly a giant hop cone looking at it as if it were a severed head in which it is about to enjoy like an appetizer, like an amuse-bouche, if you will. What's an amuse-bouche? An amuse-bouche is in fine dining. When you approach your table, there is a uh, an appetizer or what is called an amuse-bouche sitting at the table. It is not on the menu. It is there to be served as an introduction to your dining experience. Well, bon appetit. Let's dive in. Have you had your first drink yet? Just took it. All right. Well, I took mine first, and I'm going to go first. Because 
this drink somehow heavier and sweeter than our first beer. It, it's got the weight of a triple IPA and the sweetness of a New England IPA and the bitterness of a West Coast, but much more sweet than I expected. What do, what do you think? Yeah, it has a thick flavor to it. Uh, I think it is the Strata Hop, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe the Nelson Sauvin, because it's definitely not Citra. Right. It's one of those two hops that just presents this uh, almost hard candy uh-huh. sweetness uh-huh. that is just boom, bang, right in your face. Just like hitting you over the head like it's the Grim Reaper's sickle. It is uh, aggressively... Um, muddled tasting almost it's it's hard to describe but i'm gonna give it my best shot uh hmm. i gotta drink some more before i do this though yeah i think i'm i think it's the strata hops by the way i my recollection of nelson salvin is is much more whiny and a little bit tropical and i think strata hops tend to be a little bit more berry forward uh if i if i remember right more of like a strawberry thing and this is Definitely along those lines, I would because at least some of the Nelson Salvine flavored beer, not flavored um, beers that we've done, have something of a of a whiny counterpoint and a bit of a pithiness that offsets that sweetness. And this is very sweet. I can see why they added so many citra variants. Hopefully, in an attempt to kind of mask the, the 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 massive personality of a Strata hop. Yeah, so Nelson Sauvin hops typically add uh, grape, uh, but sure. you can also get like a ton of passion fruit and different berries from it. Whereas strata hops, you're going to get a ton of passion fruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been described by industry professionals as uh, passion fruit meets pot. Uh, but also oh. you can get a, you can get a ton of like mango uh, melons and a little bit of citrus, like grapefruity citrus from strata hops. No strawberry there. No strawberry that Shoot. I'm seeing right. on any of the flavor descriptors. For what these do you, two hops. what website was the website you on? Uh, Yakima Valley hops. All right. Fair enough. I stand corrected. But, uh, something in the amalgamation of this liquid concoction strikes me in all the wrong ways. Yeah, it is. Yeah, me too. It's got a cloying flavor and it's not the cloying sweetness. It's just like an abrupt artificiality that really just strikes me as like, ugh, this beard tastes like weird. And I know that's very professional of me to say, but weird, that's the yeah. first thing that's come to mind. That's up there with interesting. It's like, weird how? <laughs> but it does. And yeah, I think you're not wrong in your your um, uh, uh, implementation of the word strawberry, because maybe like the combination of those two hops does give it kind of a weird strawberry-ish aftertaste. Uh, but yeah, it's got a funk to it, man. This, this hop profile is is very unique, and I think you people are going to either love it or hate it. I appreciate you trying to save me. I was literally saying, I think strata hops really impart a strawberry flavor. I think that's what strata hops do. Uh, so, no, I was just wrong. But, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, this is a very strange mashup of hop flavors. I also don't love it. There's a ton of heat. There's not really enough carbonation to back up the kind of heft that I'm getting from the body either. I really do like the lightness, though, the, the lightness of the, of the carbonation. I think with a different flavor profile that might work really well and dare mm-hmm. i say even yeah even even mask some alcohol if, if there were just a little bit more subtlety to some of that sweetness and the and you know there's bitterness on the end i'll, I'll acknowledge that but far and away this is a very cloyingly sweet beer that reminds me of a triple ipa and, and not not one that's done particularly well yeah i'm gonna agree i like the first beer way more which is great this is gonna be the one time that you've willingly chosen a new england ipa over a west coast 
So I will treasure yeah. this moment. But I'm with you. I don't see how you could go another route. You think this is also about as fresh as our first one within about a month? Yeah. Well, yeah. What what do you like about it? You got any positives for me? Hmm. I mean, it's it's clean. Like the hop flavor is there. It's just the flavor that I disagree with. Um, but it's it is a clean drinking IPA. It I don't like the aftertaste. It is an aggressive kind of a funky dry bitter. Yes. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. It's not my favorite either, man. I. I'm gonna take one more drink. I've had about two drinks so far. I'm gonna have a third, and I'm really gonna focus on things that I like because there are some things here that I do enjoy. So look, give me just one sec here. I will. But I, I don't honestly, from like nose to mouthfeel to drinking this beer, I, I am not a fan. I don't think there's much that I actually do like about this beer. Yeah, I like, here it is. I dig, here's what happens. You, you, you raise the glass to your mouth, you quaff a little bit through the nose, and then it's like, whoa, this is going to be sweet. Then you taste it and you're like, oh, that's fun. That's got some brightness and some bitterness. And that sensation lasts for about a quarter of a second. And in that quarter of a second, this man is in bliss. And then pretty quickly it goes into sweetness. But there's there's a portion of this that I think is pretty enjoyable. And I think with a couple tweaks to the recipe, it would be a beer that I personally would enjoy, which is it's not to say anybody else wouldn't enjoy this version. I'm sure a lot of people would, but it's just not hitting right for me. Well, we have to rate it. Based on the recipe that we are drinking. So yeah, we do. Uh, you want to go first? To the grim task at hand, the spear is a 4.4. It's a 3 for me. It's, you know, in Chico, this was also at Spikes. Now that we are off of the radio waves, we are legally, uh, I think that's the right turn of phrase here, allowed to say how much it cost us. So what do these cost? Five bucks. Yeah, it feels high for this one, doesn't it? It feels like a really good deal for the first one, but that does feel high to me on this. Yeah, that's just because we don't like it as that's, much. That's 100% why. Yep. Um, yeah, okay. I, I suppose I'm ready to move on. I don't need to just, you know, scythe the dead reaper necessarily. Yeah. Not a turn of phrase. No. Uh, if this beer was half as good as the can label is, it would be delicious. If it, yes, I think the opposite of that. I think this can label, I think this beer is twice as good as the can label. I really don't like that. I never would have grabbed this beer. This is your fault. <laughs> yep. 100%. Uh, all right. You ready for Hot and Bothered? Yep. Hot and Okay, welcome to Hot and Bothered. Let's veer off the tried and true path of beer and movies. Potentially, I don't know what you're talking about this week. And get into our lives. I'm going to go first. I got two quick things. I am playing a couple of public shows coming up in the month of March. The first is on March 12th. It's a Saturday. I'll be down at a, at this point, recurring place that is both a, I, I am a fan of personally and this podcast is a fan of. That's Dying Breed Brewing in Oakdale. They make some mm-hmm. fantastic beers. They're always very accommodating to me as a musician. Um, so I'm playing there a few hours on Saturday the 12th. If you're hearing this show um, before that and you have a free night and you're down in that area or you're not and you like to travel, come on by. And if that weekend is no good for you, I do have another show this time back in Chico on Friday the 18th. And that'll be at uh, Stobel. Stobel Coffee, downtown Chico, up on their rooftop. It's a gorgeous roof. And I'm going to play there from 6 to 8. It's free to people and people showing up would mean a lot to me. And it would mean a lot to me because a lovely to see your faces. Thanks for listening to my stuff. B would also send a little sign to Stubble. Be like, hey, people like him. You should have him back. And that's something I would enjoy because I love me a good rooftop. That's fair. I'm super stoked to go check it out. That's March 18th, Friday. Great. That's what I got. What about you? Love it. 
Uh, so the only kind of new thing on my viewing horizon is I finished The Outsider. So that's a thing. I teased it last week. It is a Stephen King-based series. So it was based on a Stephen King book. Yes. And it was a series on HBO Max. And I finished it. And it was really, really, really good. Uh, it was a gritty crime supernatural drama with uh, a poignant and well-placed ultra violence. Uh, lots of suspense. It really kept me guessing. Uh, it was a little bit long. I think it could have been maybe seven or eight episodes, but it was ten. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was very entertaining. And I think if you're in the market for some Stephen King-inspired uh, crime drama that it is definitely worth a watch. All right. The Out Outsider. Yep. Yeah, great. On HBO, HBO Max. Max. And uh, continuing with the theme of HBO Max uh, is a series that I've been very excited for for some time. Uh, it is called Our Flag Means Death. It is starring Reese Darby, Taika Waititi, Joel Fry, Kristen Narn, or if you know him as I know him, Hodor, uh, and a Gatch of so many other people. There's tons of cameos. Uh, Fred Armisen pops up in one of the first three episodes. And essentially, it is about a rich uh, kind of entitled, uh, not diplomat, but uh, a very wealthy, like, nobleman, let's mm -hmm. say, played by Reese Darby uh, as the character Steed Bonnet, who decides to venture into the exciting world of piracy? So he buys a fancy boat. Oh, okay, and right. He's... You should you should set the time frame. Just... Oh, it's it's pirate era. So what? Because piracy uh, is not a victimless crime. You wouldn't steal a car. You wouldn't steal a person. So you wouldn't steal a DVD. I'm just clarifying. It's not the kind of piracy we are talking about. No, we're talking swords, Got it. muskets, cannons, flags, boats, early 18th century pirate life. So yeah, you're you're confronted with this character played by Reese Darby of Steed Bonnet, who wants to be a pirate to prove that he's not essentially a uh, a, a ninny or a sissy. Uh -huh. or he's been he's been persecuted his whole life. I love this so of, far. Keep going. Yeah, silver spoon in the mouth. So he buys a pirate ship and hires a crew, and is like super nice to him and like has a library and make sure everyone gets paid every week. And like, it is so hilarious how like proper and well he, tr and all of the pirates in his crew start resenting him. Cause he's so nice. Yeah. It's uh it is fantastic. Like he's insistent on wearing nice outfits and it, it's just this, this hilarious comedic situation that they find themselves in. Uh, and then I believe middle of the second episode, you have Taika Waititi coming into the show as Captain Blackbeard. He's not like a real pirate. He's the real pirate. Yeah. He's like the most real pirate. Uh, so they came out uh, on March 3rd and they had a three episode season premiere and I watched all three and I got to tell you, I am completely here for this. I love the Reese Darby, Taika Waititi brand of humor. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're a fan, I don't know if you're familiar with Reese Darby. Do you know much of his work? Uh, no, not really. I'd love if you told me. Um, yeah, so he has been in, I believe he was in, which, what was that one? Oh, my God, the one. Flight of the Concords. Oh. I'm just naming Taika Waititi stuff. Um, no, yeah, he, he was in Flight of the Concords. He was in or, Yes Man. Was Taika Waititi it, even a part of that? Or am I just thinking Jermaine Clement? And I'm thinking those two guys are the same because of uh, what we do in the shadows. 
Yes, exactly. I like associate and Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi almost inseparably. No, he was actually in What We Do in the Shadows, the movie. So, no, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, and also he played uh, Jim Carrey's boss in Yes Man. Oh, so I know who you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. Goofy. He's dude. great. He's got just such a fun face and he delivers comedy. And I also really love the movie um, Pirate Radio that okay. he was in. Uh, so good. But yeah, if you're into that brand of, you know, Taika Waititi or, um, you know, Flight of the Concords humor, you're going to be on board for this. It's lighthearted. It's silly. It's fun. But it's got some very intelligent things to say with its humor. So I'm fully on board for it. I think you should check out the first three episodes. I'd love for you to be keeping up with me on this. And maybe we give a full review after the, the series is done. That sounds good and actually is too much of a leading question unintentionally on your part to to not then close the loop on Euphoria, which I forgot. Um, oh, yes. Season two, Euphoria, I have mixed feelings. It's still over, overly self-indulgent. It's too, too much trauma and people go through too much stuff and it's very, very stressful to watch. The second to last episode is very good. It, okay. it It's very good craftsmanship in terms of I don't even want to say too much, but I actually won't say anything. It's just a really well-crafted episode. The acting's pretty great, and and I think always has been, and it doesn't quite feel so um, callously explicit to the feelings of its characters as, as some of the other episodes, especially in season two, do. So I'd say if you were a fan of Euphoria season one and you feel the ungodly urge to keep watching season two after the first couple episodes... It might be worth it, though I'm making no guarantees. So I guess I'm feeling pretty wishy-washy in terms of a recommendation. Interesting, because I have had a terrible day, as mm-hmm. you well know. We talk about we talked about it a little bit. Before. Yeah, we have lives. Yeah, we have lives, and they're impacted by you know extenuating circumstances. Would this be a series where you know because you've watched all of it, and yeah. so the the big question I had was, does the payoff? Uh, worth the the trauma that it puts you through. So that's question number one. And question number two is, is that a series that I should start after having a bad day, maybe to put my problems in perspective and distract me from the minuscule things that are bogging me down in my professional and personal life? And would it provide a worthwhile distraction or would it traumatize me beyond belief and make me just not get out of bed tomorrow? The tra- the first question, the trauma questions, I think a tricky one because I think people have different tolerances for this sort of thing. For me, no. I think you have you have more of a tolerance for this than I do. But I would still say it might not be worth it. And to your second question, it's fiction. So to some extent, you're putting yourself through something that's not even real to put your own problems in perspective. If that was your goal, I would say flip on the news. See what's going on with Russia. Look for a photo of, you know, a toddler walking through the street next to dead bodies. That'll probably put it in perspective, and that's really happening. So if that's your goal, I'd do that. I'd just turn on any news channel. Almost, it doesn't even have to be right now. If you're listening in the future, you could still probably turn on the news if you find yourself in Johnny's situation. Things aren't great, I guess. So I'm not sure if that makes this better or worse. Maybe euphoria then becomes an okay, palatable thing. Should have done question two first, because now question one is like, yeah, no, you can watch euphoria. It's not that bad. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, our main, my main thing, and we've spoken about it before, was the, is the payoff at the end, does the season two culminate with anything that makes everything it put you through worthwhile? I guess not really. 
No, okay. but and there's, there's no Max's way. Hot take. There's no way to appreciate the second to last episode, which I feel is very well done. But there's no way to appreciate it without having going through all that. So now I guess the question is: is is episode? I think it's episode nine or, or maybe eight. Is that worth going through everything? And and no, probably not. There's great film out there that you can watch that is is less traumatic and less ex- not exploitative. That's not quite right, but no, I'd I'd skip it. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Um, I did also watch Peacemaker. Did you finish it? Yeah, like it is more of a you show than me, but I did enjoy it more than I thought. It was a very escapist show, and the jokes got old after a while. It's too long, I think. They're about 45 minutes each, and there's like nine or ten episodes, maybe not quite that many. Um, I think that Peacemaker makes a questionable decision towards the end that has some wide-spanning repercussions probably. Um, But overall, it's fine. You know, I got a couple of laughs, and it was okay. (laughs) I loved it. Yeah, I'm glad glad you... I'm glad you stuck it out. I appreciate that. I was thinking about covering um, the theme song at a show and playing it for you. I know you love I, I, I just know. I don't even know for a fact, but I'm guessing very much that you love that song. I already learned the whole song on the guitar. Nice, dude. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Uh, if you want to hear more about that, I would I would point all of our listeners to Pop Culture Happy Hour. It's a show that I reference quite a bit. They had an excellent episode hosted by Glenn Weldon on Peacemaker, and mm. it was one of the only episodes that I've ever firmly disagreed with Glenn Weldon. But I still love him as a reviewer, and I think Pop Culture Happy Hour is a very, very digestible daily podcast about things that are relevant to you and your entertainment consumption. So uh, obviously listen to our show first, but also highly recommend Pop Culture Happy Hour. All right. Yeah, that's a pretty, I mean, that's a solid record. I don't, I'm actually finding that I dislike that show more and more, but uh, it's a pretty solid record. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, if I'm super on the fence, I'll listen. But if it's something I know I want to watch, I'll listen to it after mm-hmm. to see if maybe they've noticed things that I missed, sure. which they always do. Of course they do. It's um, like they're professionals or something. Yes. You got anything else? All right, we gotta get, yeah, no, we got right? we, we to get out of here. You got to go to work, man. Uh, all right. Well, the show wouldn't be what it is without the support of Bailey Minardi, without our friends on Patreon. And thanks to The Handlebar for your constant support and constant supplying to the town of Chico of delicious and affordable beers seven days a week. I'm not going to do a full commercial now. I'm not that greedy. But uh, that's Johnny Summers, of course. Johnny, thanks for a wonderful show. I appreciate it, man. Yes, this was excellent. Thank you for the great chat, as always. It was uh, very enjoyable. Well, again, I'm Johnny Summers. That's Max Minardi. We are signing off for the week. Remember, as always, drink good beer, watch things that make you happy, and always Always, always, before anything, just be good to each other. It costs zero dollars to be a good person. We love you guys, and we'll see you next week. Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema.